Well, it's good to be with you. It's a bit strange as well. I think we sent out a communication this week saying it was my last sermon before sabbatical, and a lot of lovely people were texting me saying they were looking forward to it. And then I realized, is that because it's my last sermon for a while? So uh, anyway, we'll see how this goes. Uh, Dave also said I could preach on anything. Oh, that's dangerous. Because he said there's a week between uh, the first John series and then uh, the Advent series. And so he said, Matt, you've basically got a week where you can talk on whatever you like. And so as a preacher, that's bad. But I have tried to condense it this morning. Uh, When you're going on sabbatical, you probably have a bunch of things you'd want to say to a community that you love dearly. And so I've cut out most of those because there was so much in this text this morning. This scripture has been on my heart for a while now. Uh, Last fall, I was at a conference in Northern Ireland, which is always a good start to an anecdote. And so I was at the conference in Northern Ireland, and someone in the middle of their message just said, we follow the lamb that was slain. I've heard that my whole life, grew up in the church, know that phrase, but something in me just did a work that was Pretty transformative. We then sung the song, Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. And what I realized is we love the Lion of Judah because he's powerful and victorious and we love to win. And the attention in Revelation 5 is we follow the Lamb that was slain. So as I go into sabbatical, um, this is just a message that I feel has been on my heart, and so I'm just going to share it with you. Um, this morning, I want to start by saying when we think about the book of Revelation, that can always be scary because I think Revelation is one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible. If you've read Revelation, if you know of Revelation, when I was younger, I just avoided it because it was weird. There were dragons and winged creatures and strange things going on. It's a lot of metaphor. Then someone decided to talk about a series called Left Behind, The Rapture, which basically was really bad movies with Kirk Cameron in it. But anyway, there was this movie series of The Rapture, what's going to happen when we left behind. I watched the movie I Am Legend with Will Smith, and I thought that was Revelation, just dystopian future. And what I want us to hear this morning is maybe we've misunderstood Revelation because Revelation is all about Jesus. The start of Revelation says, the first line of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. What John is trying to point us to is this book is all about Jesus Daryl Johnson, who wrote one of the best books I've ever read on Revelation called Discipleship on the Edge, he says the book of Revelation is a book of discipleship. He says I would put it up right up there with the Gospels and Ephesians as the books that talk about Jesus the most. And this is what he says. Revelation calls us to radical discipleship to all-out courageous loyalty to the Lamb in a world feverishly worshipping the beast. So it's a revelation about Jesus, and it's given to John when he's on the island of Patmos. Now, context is always important, and this morning more than ever, John gets this revelation when he is alone and he is exiled. He's by himself. Maybe that sounds familiar to some of us in our current reality. So John receives this vision after he's been persecuted. He feels like he's a threat to Domitian, the Roman emperor. So they exile him and stick him on an island with no one else there. 
See, John is alone, and here's what we realize. He's actually not alone. Jesus shows up and gives him a vision. It was interesting to me that the scripture at its best is often written in isolation. David writes the Psalms in caves. Paul writes the sermons in prison. And John writes this revelation while in Patmos. This morning, if you feel alone, I pray you would know that you're not alone. Jesus is present. So here we have this vision. It's given to John. And the verses that Nat read this morning are tied to the verses before it in Revelation 5. What's happened is John is having this vision and John starts to weep because he sees on the throne God with this scroll. And the scroll is the story of human history and God's plan of redemption. And he says, John is weeping because he says there is no one worthy who can transform the story of history. It says an elder comes up to him and says, John, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root of Jesse, is worthy. So John wipes his tears away and it says, he looked and he saw the lamb as if he were slain, sat on the throne. John turns to look, and that is one of the major words in the book of Revelation. Over 30 times, look or see is mentioned. One author says, a good way to say it is to behold. I think John is trying to get our attention, and here's what he's saying this morning to us. Who or what do we look to? Who or what do we look to as the one who is actually seated in a position of power. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the world, where is our attention going? Who do we actually think is running the show? If I'm perfectly honest, these days where I wonder who is in charge, there's days where I feel anxious or nervous and think, who is actually running this thing? And John the Revelator on the island of Patmos would say, Matt, St. Clair, would you have eyes to see who is truly in charge and who is on the throne? This morning, St. Clair, would we have eyes to see? See, we live in a time just like John that can feel chaotic, can feel confusing. There are political leaders vying for power. We look at social systems that are broken. Everything feels in chaos. Maybe for us it feels like a certain leader is on the throne. Maybe it feels like even COVID might be on the throne. Maybe it even feels like we are on the throne of our own lives. And John would say, look, the lamb is the one who is on the throne. Put your focus and attention there. See, I wonder if whoever we think is on the throne will actually affect how we live. Whoever we think is in charge will affect how we live our lives. And the whole of Revelation 5 is pointing us to our focus and attention being on the Lamb. So when we gather on a Sunday like this, or we gather on our live stream at home, the weird thing is we gather each week together to remind ourselves it's not actually about us. It's all about him. Listen to the language. 
And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. They sang a new song. Don't we need to sing a new song as the church? If ever the church needs a new song with the chaos of what we see in the world, to be honest, the state of the church in the Western world, this is just a small aside in my sermon, I think the church needs a desperately new song of who Jesus is. And they sang a new song saying, you were worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will rule on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousand. Small church, small Bible paraphrase, that's a lot. Anyway, uh, 10,000, 10,000, they circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. All of Revelation 5 is pointing one place. Our attention is on the throne because we see who is on it. See, John is exiled. He's alone. Rome is powerful. Rome is winning. The church is being persecuted. The church is small. But John is trying to say this, things are not as they seem. See, this morning, no matter what we see out there, what our physical eyes see, things are not necessarily what they seem. So the elder says to John, look, he's just heard that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, is the one who is worthy. And John looks to see the lion And what does he see? He sees the lamb. I thought I would get away with that. I've read that line all week and I've cried every time. Because we look for the lion and what we see is the lamb. We see the lamb that was slain. And in so many ways, there's amazing humor here. It's not even an impressive lamb. If you read the original language, it's not some kind of ram that's going to dominate It's the lamb that was slain. See, the one ruling on the throne isn't a lion or a war horse, but a lamb that is slain. It's almost as if it's the kind of God that's on the throne that gets up from the table, takes a towel and a basin, and starts to wash feet. It's almost like the one who is on the throne is the one who touches the leper and welcomes the sinner. It's almost like the one who is on the throne chose to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's almost like the one who was slain is the one who said, blessed are the poor, blessed are those that mourn, and blessed are the meek. See, when we look at the one on the throne, power looks completely different. Our images of power get so subverted because we don't follow the one who dominates with power. We follow the one who sacrificially loves and serves. The one ruling like the slain lamb is giving himself away in sacrificial love. Here's what John wants us to see. At the center of reality is the one who suffers. So when we give our lives to God, what we realize is the glory of God is manifested when we give our lives away. St. Teresa of Avila, who I've studied all throughout COVID, says, when someone reaches the height of human maturity, they have one question left. 
how can I be helpful? See, there's no other way to follow God than to give our lives away sacrificially because we follow the lamb that was slain. The scroll of human history is opened by sacrificial love. And he writes, says, the call of the gospel is for the church to implement the victory of God in the world through suffering love. I was reminded of that uh, recently I was on a call uh, with a bunch of church planters from across Canada, and they were debating the future of the church as we're in a different time and what the church should look like as we move forward. Maybe COVID has disrupted the church in a good way because we've asked what's most important. And on this call, people were having conversations about, is it big church? Is it small church? Is it medium-sized church? Is it missional church? They use language like ecclesiology. It was one of these conversations, everyone was joining in, and I just sat there going, I don't know what's going on. They're using really big theological words. And everyone's going back and forth and posturing and impressive. And finally, on the screen, this guy waved, and the person moderated said, oh yeah, Siamic, do you have anything to say? And everyone paused and he said, I don't know what the future of the church looks like, but where I come from, it's always been small. So I grew up in the Middle East and our church was always persecuted. And so we met in homes, we met underground, we met in quiet because we didn't want any of the leaders to come to us. And he said, I don't know what it is, but the backdrop is always persecution for the church. No one had anything to say after that. All our big theological words about the future didn't really matter. Because what Siamic was trying to say is, I can follow the lamb that was slain because he understands what it's like to be persecuted. See, he was saying, when you are in a place like India or Africa or the Middle East or China and you've suffered persecution, The most beautiful image is to see the one who also suffers and recognize he is with us. And I would say this pretty strongly to the church. The church is such a global movement. We have to have eyes to see that we in the West are not just the church, but the church is growing all around the world. And I'll be honest, in the midst of COVID, I've been really, um, I don't know if you're allowed to be proud of your church. I am. I'm proud of you, St. Clair. Because when I think about sacrificial love, I see examples. Whether it's a food drive where we need more vehicles to carry the amount of food we have to give it to families in need. Whether it's the way in the midst of COVID, which you shouldn't do, we decide as the church to actually support and sponsor a refugee family. To say, we will not live in the fear narrative, we'll go out of our way to embrace the stranger and welcome them. Whether it's to see people in our community taking meals and sacrificing for those in St. Clair and their neighbours. Whether it's people saying, I am fatigued all day from working online, but because there's a single person who needs me, I will be online on Zoom because I want to love them sacrificially. What does it look like to follow the lamb that was slain? And the lamb is surrounded, and the lamb, as all of this focus puts his attention in the middle of the worship, it says this. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Interesting to note that prayers show up in the midst of all this. It's almost like this image of John says, prayer is important to what happens in history. When you have prayed and asked for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on the world and in Hamilton, what John is trying to say is your prayers get remembered 
your prayers are important. Walter Wink says, history belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. Even a small number of people firmly committed to the new inevitability on which they have fixed their imaginations can decisively affect the shape the future takes. As a community, we started as a prayer meeting. Prayer has always been central to St. Clair. And I would say prayer remains central to who we are because we actually believe when we pray, we're joining with God in what he's doing in the world. People have often said to me during COVID, I feel pretty hopeless. I don't know what to do. And I felt exactly the same. And I keep being reminded prayer is important and prayer matters. Dave sent me a podcast recently that was super interesting. And in the middle of it, one person was talking about what Martin Luther King was doing in his fight against racial injustice. And we all know Martin Luther King as someone who um, had peaceful protest, who tried to change American history in terms of how it viewed um, different challenges between uh, different ethnic groups and uh, racial tension. And in the midst of it, this person said, Martin Luther King, for anyone who wanted to join his peaceful protest, had a rule of life that he asked people to adhere to. And one of the central pieces of the rule of life was a life of prayer of silence and solitude. What this author said is, if we want to make a difference with justice in the world, it will always be rooted in a life of prayer. So they're praying, people are worshipping, and what we also see is the lamb who was slain, his blood was purchasing people from every tribe and language and people and nation. The good news of the lamb that was slain is for everyone. This hospitality of God saying all of the people around us from different places around the world, from different groups, they are all there worshiping. It's not one group. It's not just people who are like us. The kingdom is full of diversity. Would we have eyes to see? So what does this mean, St. Clair? Just a couple of things to close. When we think about sacrificial love, I think that has to be a mark of St. Clair's community moving forward. If we worship the lamb that was slain, that leads us to live sacrificially. One thing I'd thought about was how we've always had breakfast at St. Clair. From the very first Sunday we ever met, we had a breakfast that was open to people until COVID hit. And one of my questions is, what does that look like to see us take breakfast, and we maybe can't do it in the same form, but actually be a welcoming space that welcomes a stranger. See, breakfast was never started as a table for the insider. Breakfast was always a table for everyone. So what does that look like for us to be a community that welcomes those not like us? How do we care for the most vulnerable in our community? A friend said to me when we started St. Clair, if you take care of the least of these, God says he'll take care of your church. What is it like to be a family on mission? After a few years of St. Clair, I think we're like seven years in. Uh, God has been amazingly kind. He's been gracious to us. We've grown. Uh, there was just 25 to 30 of us praying in a basement, and God blew our imagination for what he did. But the worst thing we could ever do as a community is stay where we are. I think, great, now we just need to batten down the hatches and survive. We've got this community. Let's just maintain what we have. 
The gospel will always move us outwards. Good news will always force us to go. What does it look like to be a family on mission? Who lives as a family who sacrificially loves others within St. Clair? You know, Jesus says the world will see we're disciples by actually how we love each other. That will be our marker. So how do we love people and how do we live into the mission of God? What does it look like to be a community that radically devotes ourselves to pray? Who actually believes when we pray, Jesus moves? And so what does it look like to be a community that says we will pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in Hamilton as it is in heaven? What if we dedicated ourselves to take maybe even an hour in the prayer room or with a bunch of friends to pray for this to happen? Sacrificial love, family on mission, prayer. And the last is radical discipleship to Jesus. As Daryl Johnson says, revelation calls us to radical discipleship, to all-out courageous loyalty to the lamb in a world feverishly worshipping the beast. So what does it look like for us to be a community who take discipleship to Jesus seriously, who realize that as we see our inner life transform, the brokenness and the pain that needs to be healed, it propels us out to want to love others, that we say we will shape and orient our lives around Jesus each and every day. I'm going to pray in a moment. Um, but as I kind of pull this message to a close, I think you see what I've been trying to say this morning, but if I could say anything to you this morning, I would say, where is our attention and our focus? Who do we look for in the midst of the swirling chaos? Would we look and see that it's not necessarily the lion that is sat on the throne, but the slain lamb. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. St. Clair Community Church this morning, would we have eyes to see? that the one on the throne is not necessarily who everyone tells us it is. But John of Patmos would say, the one who sits on the throne is the lamb who was slain and he's in charge and his kingdom is going to come. Let's pray. Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, you are always worthy. As we sit here, would you almost give us a new set of glasses? Would you open our eyes to see who is on the throne? Jesus, thank you that it is not what we expect 
that the ways the kingdom of the world have gone have been usurped. It's the one who comes to us in suffering and says, I am with you. To those of us who are walking through hard and broken and difficult times, we would see the lamb who suffers. Jesus, would St. Clair always be about you and for you? Because you are the head of the church and you are building your church and you've invited us to join you. We pray St. Clair back into your hands because it truly belongs to you. Amen.